Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday's edition of the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and we are still in James chapter number 4, and man, is it ever good. Uh, just some powerful truths that we, we got from the Word of God yesterday, but the most difficult being uh, James chapter 4 and verse number 4, when, when the Word of God speaks to us and says, You adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so that we would look at that and we would say, well, wait a minute. Aren't I as a Christian supposed to be in this world to reach the world of Christ? Aren't I supposed to be uh, actively engaging in the world? And indeed, that is the place where which God has put us for the purpose of gleaning in the fields without question, as Jesus said over in John chapter number 4, that the harvest is ready uh, to reap, but the laborers are few. And so, yes, we are supposed to be working in this world, but we are not supposed to be of this world. He said in John 17, in the prayer that Jesus lifted up, though that we are left in this world to do his labor, yet we are not supposed to be of this world. And so the point of being an adulterer as a man or an adulteress as a woman is, is getting so engaged in the things of this world that we lose sight of what our purpose is as the church reaching this world for Christ and get sucked in to all those pleasures and desires that, that would well up within us and bring us to an ill will or an, an, a hatred for other people. And, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, definitely hang out with us here in James chapter number four and let's uh, be convicted. Amen. Let's, let's be challenged by the Word of God, which is the way in which we grow, which is the way in which we, we are changed from within so that our lives can shine for Jesus outside. So praise God. Father, we are grateful. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to get into this word today. I just love it, Lord. I love your conviction. I love, I love the way that that you you work on my own personal soul. And Father, I pray that you will do the same for others who tune into this. I pray that you will work upon the soul, Lord. Do not leave us comfortable in our complacency, but Lord, just move us, and we will give you thanks and praise in the blessed name of Jesus today. Amen. Just as I'm saying, guys, we, we find ourselves often at this impasse in our life where, where there are things that, that of our previous life we enjoyed. There are places we enjoyed to go, things we enjoyed doing, uh, people we desired to be around. There are all these different things and that, that we enjoyed, but then we, in a moment of our lives, receive Christ. We discover that, that the world we're living in and that the life that we're living in, that the decisions we're making and the choices that that are that are being decided all the time are leading us in a pathway to death they're leading us in a pathway apart from from holy god and so we repent so we recognize the error of those decisions and and we turn from them and and we flee to christ and and in that moment of conversion where we discover that god's word 
is truth and that our direction in life was was a train wreck that was just waiting to go off the rails and 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 just completely be destroyed that we surrender to God it amazes me though how quickly upon that surrender that that the flesh as Paul would bring out in Romans chapter number 7 that that the flesh will war against the newborn spirit that is inside of you as a believer. And that that flesh with all of its old wants and all of its old lust and all of its old ways will, will really war against the spirit of God that is fresh and new within you to suppress the Holy Spirit so that you may once more become comfortable going back into the wickedness of everyday life. And how, how easy it is for new believers to be knocked off course, and it's understandable because being a new believer, what are you supposed to do with Jesus? What are you supposed to do with this Christianity? What are, how are you supposed to live it? What does the Word of God say about every situation that you may encounter uh, from the moment you receive Christ to five hours from then? Uh, how are you supposed to respond? What are you supposed to think? You see, new believers don't come out with, with a, a big C on the just like super Christian, like Superman. They, they just received Christ, so they're completely full of everything they need to know and everything that they, they need to become so that they could just fight the world and and, and beat the devil and, and conquer uh, everything to the will of Christ. That's, that's insane. They're a newborn babe, and they need nurturing. They need support. That's what's, that's what's so important about the, the church, guys. That's what's so important about being a part of the church, becoming a, a, a servant of the Lord together with the fellow brethren of, of the church. It's what's so important about our fellowship and so important about our, our communion with one another throughout the week, that we strengthen one another and that we, we build one another up, that we're praying for one another, that we're, that we're teaching one another. And, and, and praise God, that's exactly what we need, church. Guys, church, is, church ought not to be an option. Church ought not to be something that we say, well, you know, if I've got time, I'll go. Church is a necessity of the soul in order to be strengthened. Church is, is a necessity of the fellowship of the saints in light to come and burn brighter. Church, oh, Jesus started the church because he knew how important this is to the soul of those who need that fellowship. Well, one thing's for certain, guys. If we don't trust in the Lord and, and turn to the church for the, for the main portion of our fellowship, then we will turn back to the world to, to glean that main portion of fellowship. And, and what will happen to us is that we will not remain strong in our faith, but will fall to the wayside. And it doesn't mean that we're lost. That's I'm not talking about losing salvation as if that were ever possible due to the eternal promises of God, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 
a, literally a devastation of a heart because of the conviction of a Holy Spirit that you would find yourself in a position of becoming more bitter every day that you walk away from the good things of God to get into the wicked things of the world. And that's why James was crying out, you adulterers and adulteresses. You see, because we're cheating on God. We're literally, we're literally cheating on God with the world. We're, we belong as a virgin, recognizing those that parable I talked about yesterday, the ten virgins. We, we are engaged to the Lord spiritually and 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 we are engaged to him to be faithful to him as he is wholly faithful unto us and we we're called to to now look to him and live for him and 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 be with him and and just just cause him to be everything of our lives and so easily we would turn back to the pleasures and enjoyments that we would once find in this world, not having been changed by the renewing of our minds unto that perfect and good and acceptable will of God found in study of the Word of God, but that we would claim a salvation and so easily turn from it back into the old ways of our life, back into the world. It's right for him to call us adulterers. It's right for God to call us adulteresses. For as it is revealed, we want to be friends once more with the world. We will make ourselves enemies with God. It, there's just no, no uh, gray area in this position, is there? And we say, well, that's a logical fallacy, right? Because everything has shades of gray, doesn't it? Well, the truth is, is it's not a fallacy of logic, for God is logic, and he has power to establish the boundaries of his righteousness apart as he is holy from our perceived ideals of what righteousness is being wholly unrighteous anyways in every way, and so that he can establish this boundary that if you choose the unrighteousness of this world to become friends with, then by nature of unrighteousness, you have made yourself an enemy with God. And consider the point that would be made by, by many to say, I would rather be an enemy to the world and a friend of God, thereby being received of him and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, as revealed in Matthew 25. Or, or much so, rather, than to be the friend of the world and an enemy to God, and here depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Oh, guys, the internal importance of, of this is staggering, is breathtaking. Where do you stand before righteous and holy God? As Amos would, would cry out in chapter number four, are you prepared to meet your God knowing that, that when you face him as a child of God, 
everything you're doing right now, everything you're thinking right now, everything you're engaged in at present comes to play before his judgment. <laughs> That's deep. And it's hard. It's a tough subject. But isn't this where wars and fightings are generated within us? Like he would say in verse number five, he said, oh, oh, oh boy, let me get started with this. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble here, okay? Because verse number five reveals a difference in translation at this point. So I'm looking at verse number five, and what the, the translation I'm currently looking at is the New King James Version. And, and I'm looking at this verse number five. And this is another one of those verses where I rely on my good old King James Bible because the wording that is used in the King James, I firmly believe, is the most perfect. Okay? So, in, in New King James, which is going to be very close to the old, except for one word, and that one word is what makes all the difference. So... Verse number five, as you already read it probably a couple of times since I've been jawing about it, says, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, jealously? Now, this is so vitally important to understand in verse number five. It, it, it is wild. So in the New King James Version, you'll see here, uh, that word spirit is capitalized, okay? That word spirit is capitalized, which would be uh, referring to the Holy Spirit. But the context of what we find in James chapter number 4 is not dealing with holiness at this point, but is dealing with uh, the wretchedness of our soul. And the very point of verse number 6 is the recognition of the grace that God would pour out in, in the, the face of the wretchedness of, of man's spirit and the connection of the spirit of man that, that is uh, lusts, and that word yearns is, is the word that you're using for what the King James says, lust. And, and that is recognized in verse number three. It's recognized in verse number one and two, where he's calling us to the point where it's the lust within us that brings us to those wars and fightings, and that it is that, that consumption of our pleasures that we're desiring to have these things. And so the spirit that dwells within us has not but the lust of envy. It, it just has every ill will to accomplish its objective. Every ill will uh, rests within us to achieve those desires that we have, and we burn with passion. We're willing to fight for those things. We're willing to kill each other. We're willing, to, as nations, to go to war to be able to achieve power over one another. And we lust. But here, you see that this is capitalized, and, and any time we find words like the Spirit that, that would be capitalized, it's referring to this, this person of the Holy Trinity, and thus it, it completely changes the whole structure of this, this context. And so that indeed, 
we would find ourselves in the in the distance of of not knowing necessarily what the scripture's bringing out. Now, in the English Standard Version, this verse number five it says, "Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says?" He is ca- is capitalized. He yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. Now this changes from the the New King James as referring to uh, would be referring to God je- jealously lusting over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Um okay let's see about the uh let's see about the Christian standard <laughs> let's see if we can find one that makes sense here He says now oh see here we go here we go uh or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely so does that mean that the Holy Spirit now envies intensely? Um, needless to say, this is dealing with the context of a wicked person that that is become a friend of the world and an enemy to God. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to be right up the ballpark here. Although I love this point, now this is one more translation, but oftentimes I find I really enjoy this transla- translation. It's called the Complete Jewish Bible, and, and it is uh, the Bible written both Old and New Testaments. It's, it's a Bible that is compiled by a Messianic a Jewish community that has, has brought the Brit Hadashah, the, the New Testament, into being, uh, and I love this, it says, or do you suppose the scripture speaks in vain when it says that there is a spirit in us which longs to envy? Now, that is true. Now, unfortunately, the, the Christian Standard Bible and the English Standard Bible and even the New King James, they just don't get this scripture correct. But here with this complete Jewish Bible, it is absolutely true it what it just said that the scri- the scripture does reveal that the spirit that belongs that, that belongs to us the, the the natural man indeed longs to envy a person apart from Christ is only only has their envy only has their passion and desire that is unbridled and uncontrolled for the Holy Spirit is not dwelling within them. And so the natural man can only just crave or long for, for those things it desires. And it's the natural man that goes to war. It's the natural man that, that fights for those passions and desires and longings that that the soul of that person has. And so this, a uh, complete Jewish Bible, this speaks truth when he says, do you suppose that the scripture speaks in vain when it says that there is a spirit in us which longs to envy? Oh, praise God, how many scriptures there actually are 
throughout the Bible that, that bring this very point to pass and that the Scripture does speak, just like he, God speaks through Paul and says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? In Romans chapter 7, where he says that there is a law working in my members that wars against the, the very law of Christ in my heart. And there's this constant derision that exists within the believer wherein his flesh is, is drawn towards sin, but he's renewed in his heart and he knows that this is not right before God and he wars against his own flesh. He fights against his own desire and passion to surrender to the Lord. We just don't get that in the other translations. And thus the King James Bible says, Do ye think that the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. Uh, praise God. Uh, there's the truth right there. But then in, in the complete Jewish Bible, in verse number 6, what I love about this, he says, but the grace that God gives is greater. And hey, man, it truly is greater. For in, in verse number 6, of course, back in the, in the New King James, now that we've gone over verse number 5, and, and guys, this is a frightening thought. It's because, again, in translation, the Scripture says that God is jealous, that God is a jealous God. But in, in the complete Jewish Bible and in the King James Bible, there is a distinction be between two terms. There is a distinction between that which is envy and that which is jealousy. In the, in the modern translations, envy is considered jealousy and jealousy is considered jealousy, so there's no distinctions. But the truth is, is that God is a jealous God in the same manner that husbands ought to be jealous for their wives, that wives ought to be jealous for their husbands. And that jealousy being a, a, a regard that is that is continual to the protection and 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 to the to the guarding of of the spouse. You see, God is very jealous toward us, and that that He is is watching over us, and He is protecting us, and He He is going to be at our side in defense of us before this wretched world and, and not willing that any should perish. God is jealous for us. And so it's very important that we understand the difference between his protection and, and his willingness to defend us from the ill will, which is that word envy, when you study it out. Let me give you the, the Greek terminology of that word envy, or, or what these modern translations are calling jealousy, is, is a neat word. It's thunos, or thonos, I should say. And thonos is, is the word envy or ill will. And it's pretty interesting because if, if you're a movie buff and you've ever seen those movies of Marvel comic called the Avengers, you'll know that the lead bad character is called Thanos. And, and Thanos is a derivative of this word envy that we find called thonos. And, and what he what his name is is the character of this person in that his design is to to eliminate half the world's population 
uh, because of the the envy that has been built up inside of mankind. And so at the snap of his fingers, he can reset the clock uh, of mankind so that that which is left over would be able to to recognize the error of their way and get basically get right or bring forth a repentance that would change the world right but it's at the ill will of destruction it's it's in spite which is another meaning of this word envy is to spite another and so it's really interesting how that plays out but that is the word envy and it's wholly different from the point of of jealousy as being recognized that God is a jealous God as he God himself speaks of this in several occasions that he is a jealous God watching over his people and of course this is the jealousy of God would be the very point that we come out of James that we claim us to be adulterers or adulteresses that God would recognize our heart leading into the paths of sin and that 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 this is something that he is very cautious over us to guard us and to protect us from so that in his jealousy he would convict us and he would bring a strong uh, yearning to to repentance within us and that it would be our flesh that would fight against that that would war against god as he would say in verse number six that god resists the proud and so in god's jealousy over us he would build forth a resistance against the pride of our heart or the lust of our eyes or the lust of our flesh and bring us into an intensity of conviction that often will will cause us if we do not accept that conviction to a repentance to to turn from our wicked ways we will find ourselves becoming very bitter we will find ourselves uh, uh, thinking that that we're under attack or thinking always that people are are, are murmuring about us and all of these different ways in which bitterness will build up is because we are fighting against the yearning of the spirit we're fighting against the 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 pulling that, that that God would have to bring us to to a corrected state and so in that that envy of our own lust that we're chasing after God's spirit would be would be pulling upon us to try and get us back from that evil direction and thus the resistance of God would, would be upon the proud, but look what he does for those who are willing to surrender. He gives grace to the humble. Isn't it a shame that, that we would find ourselves oftentimes at a position where uh, we've got to hit the bottom before we'll start looking up. Isn't it a shame, even with the children of God? Now, it's understood that that's going to be the case when you're dealing with the lost because they have no other direction but the bottom to hit. But we're dealing with the children of God here. We're dealing with a situation where where it, it's upon us that we, we rebel against righteous and holy God and that his conviction of our rebellion would build up within us, but we would so fight against it because of how we envy to lust. And, and we would fight against him and get into all these things of the world that we once were a part of, and thus we understand where wars and fightings happen from among us. 
is because God said, asking you shall receive, but when we ask of God, we cannot receive because we're not asking in order to serve God in his kingdom. We're asking in order to devour uh, those things upon our own lust, and so God must resist us, and in his resistance, we become uh, more frustrated, we become angry because God hasn't given us our way. But he knows better that our way is a destructive way that's going to lead us through the path of unrighteousness against his name. <laughs> oh, guys, do we not see the teaching of James here? How powerful is this? And thus, he, he comes down and he says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. You know, you think about it. when you. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. And I, I don't know if I've ever shared with the folks at Martin yet, but we'll be getting there. By the way, we're going to do it right now. If you're connected to Martin and, and you, you haven't heard this yet, pay attention. You and I were subjects. I don't know if you understand that very well because in our American society we we don't we don't have that. We don't we don't understand what it means to be subject to anything at all because we find ourselves as being people free to do whatever we want. But the reality, if you are a child of God watching this, you are a subject. You are a subject to a king. But he's not just a king. He's the king of kings. And understand that that his will ought to be the law of your heart. As he directs, that would be the direction that you would go in. Now, it's pretty clear at this point that a lot of things in our lives do not go in the direction of what he has, has called forth, what his will would reveal, because oftentimes we find ourselves still wandering in the directions of the paths of our old life. But, but this is the reason why we must give God praise for that he gives more grace. Understanding that, that it's the very nature of his grace that gives us one more breath to be able to explain these scriptures. That gives you one more breath to be able to hear the explanation. That it is his grace that has been applied to us that, that even in the midst of our failures, even in the midst of the wickedness that still rests within us and wants to come out of us on a regular basis, even in the midst of, of the treachery of, of Judas that exists still within our soul against the Holy Spirit and the Almighty God, he still gives us opportunities to repent and he still gives us opportunities to serve and he still gives us opportunities to get right with him. He still gives us these chances because his grace. He gives more grace. And in his grace, he resists the proud. Now his resistance to the pride of man is going to be for the length of the life of man. And if you grind against him in your pride and in this moment, you know you should be surrendering your heart to Christ. You know you should be surrendering that sin you're harboring. You know you're doing it. You know you're thinking it. You know that it's alive and well within you. And you have a conviction of Christ in this moment that you must surrender it. And you don't. 
Understand that God is standing directly in opposition against you and resisting you on every level. But to find that truth that it is necessary to surrender and repent and how how much more grace will be applied to the humble. Oh, His matchless grace. There's a powerful song. It's the, the matchless grace of Jesus. Greater far than all my sin and shame. The wonderful matchless grace of Jesus. Guys, it's what we need. And thus, how do we enter that grace? He says in verse number 7, Therefore, now, we, we've got a conclusion to the matter that he's referring to. He says that, that what's within you lusts to envy or envies to lust, and that God has to resist the lust that is in you to fight against that, to bring you to a state of humbleness, to bring you to a state of humility so that he can do his work and pouring out his grace to be able to change your life. How does it all happen? Submit to God. Why are there wars in this world today? We're not submitted to God. Why are there fightings in the world today, but not only in the world, why is there fights? Why is there? So I use a plural word with a singular <laughs> question. Why are there fights among the churches today? Why are there wars among the associations and among the congregations and among Christians in general with each other? Why, why do these things exist when we all have the same Lord, when we are all called to the same field to harvest, when we're all called to the same work of harvesting, when we're all called with the same calling in Christ Jesus, all purified by the same blood, all washed and, and, and made right with God. Why, why, why are we fighting with each other? Why is there fights? We haven't submitted to God. We haven't submitted to God. <laughs> and that's just that simple. He said, verse number seven, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil. Well, if we haven't submitted to God, we also haven't resisted the devil at all. Not at all. In fact, the devil has his day in the houses of God. <laughs> There's no question about it. Does not the scripture of, of I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 tell us that, 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 that old Satan reveals himself to be an angel of light, in which case he would fool even the Christians of the world today as not knowing their Lord from the, from the teaching of scripture to understand what is true, to understand what is right, but are motivated by, by the sensuality of their feelings through the manipulation that can come forth in, in a fluffy message and some fancy music with lights blinking and all this other stuff. And so we find that Satan himself masks himself as an angel of light, the scripture says. And it says it's no wonder that his ministers would cover themselves to look like the ministers of righteousness when it's all ungodly. And thus we find ourselves drawn into the 
the, the false teachings, thinking that they're right and good, having no discernment of the Spirit whatsoever, thereby not resisting the devil at all, but also by connection of not resisting the devil, not submitting to God. Thus, we find that the answer to correction of all of this is to submit to God and resist the devil. And by the way, when we stand up to that old devil, he has no option but to flee from us, for that old devil cannot stand in the presence of the authority over him in the Word of God. Remember Jesus as he was uh, fasted in a fasted state for 40 days out there in the wilderness after he received baptism from John. And, and Satan came to him on the, after that 40 days and, and began to tempt him. And, and the last thing of the temptations that Satan gave, because remember he took him up on the highest peak of the world, which had been somewhere around Everest, and, and said, all of the kingdoms of the world will I give to you if you will bow your knee and worship me. And, and Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then before that, Jesus said, uh, is it not written in the word of God? Is it not written in the word of God? And so we find that Satan fled from Jesus because he could not corrupt him. Jesus resisted the devil even in the position of being in a fasted state. He, he resisted that devil because Jesus was submitted to God. Now understanding that Jesus without question is God, but he's still manifest in the flesh. And so that flesh no doubt was at war against the very spirit inside of Jesus, who was the Holy Spirit that, that formed Jesus in the womb of Mary. And thus we find ourselves in the same estate as Jesus was, in that within this flesh there is nothing good, but the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So we're either going to submit to God, as our Lord revealed to us, as our Lord did submit to God, insomuch that we would overcome the, the nature of this flesh and the devil has to flee from us, or we will surrender to the flesh and we will rebel against God. It's, it's really the only two choices that exist. He said, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And thus he said, cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, he just was not afraid to, to, to pack a punch against us, no doubt. He said, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Guys, having recognized this reality today of why we fight amongst ourselves and why there's wars in this world and why... What, what the very cause of the envy of our lust and the very cause of our nature as being the reason and the fact that we haven't submitted to God, the fact that, that we haven't resisted the devil, the fact that, that we are guilty and need to be forgiven of the Lord. Guys, every church in the United States ought to find them th their way down to the altar of repentance on Sunday, crying out unto holy God for mercy. For if we find ourselves humble before the Lord, he giveth more 
grace. He giveth more grace. And so, uh, on Thursday, we're going to be kicking up in verse number 13, and we're going to be going forward to the end of this chapter about boasting about tomorrow, which is really exciting. We'll spend the rest of Thursday on this very one point, and and maybe we'll get into chapter 5, but we're going to hang out here for a little bit because it's very important for us to realize that in this chapter, which which really centralizes around that one point of submitting to God and resisting the devil, of of, of just trusting God with our life. But tomorrow is Wisdom Wednesday. Hallelujah. So we're going to be getting back into the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking at some pretty cool stuff there. So definitely want to tune in for Wisdom Wednesdays. And then, of course, uh, back to James here on Thursday and Revelation Friday dealing with the church at Laodicea. You don't want to miss the rest of this week, guys. It's going to be awesome. So let everybody know to tune in. And hallelujah. Let's get to the Word of God. Father, we are grateful. We thank you and praise you for everything that you have done, for everything that you are doing. We, we ask you, Lord, to work in our heart in this moment concerning these things which we are have received today, that our own personal lives could be held in, in position of judgment by the Word of God. As to if we are resisting the devil and, and Lord, submitting to you, Father, the one thing we do know is that you give more grace. And Lord, in the times that we have surrendered, your grace has truly enriched our lives. But there are a lot of places in our lives where we still find ourselves in rebellion. So Lord, we pray, give us a little bit of grace today to be able to surrender a little bit more so that we may be able to be faithful to you and your calling and that we may be able to serve you in your kingdom. In the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I shall catch you tomorrow for Wisdom Wednesday. Take care.